Well, we seem to be living in an increasingly graceless world, a world where one mistake can cost you your job, where one embarrassing photo or video can haunt you forever. One misguided tweet or post can ruin your career or your reputation. One political comment can blow up a friendship, a world where failure often feels final. Honesty gets punished and vulnerability gets trampled on. A few examples. I'm thinking of Andrew Luck, the recently retired quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, after announcing he was retiring after seven seasons of, of playing because of constant pain and recurring injuries and weariness of the game he had once loved. Fans booed him off the field. No apparent regard for the Many years he had led them to the playoffs and played through pain. I'm thinking of Red Sox GM Dave Dombrowski. After winning three consecutive division titles and the World Series, he was fired his first, losing, his first season that they failed to make the playoffs. Some of you are thinking it's rather graceless of me to bring up baseball, but I did, so anyway. Uh, I'm thinking of Ellen DeGeneres who this past week was publicly shamed because she was caught watching a baseball game with a longtime political opponent, President George W. Bush. Speaking of politics, I'm thinking of the most recent debate I watched in which the candidates seem to be more interested in humiliating each other than in actually articulating their points. Not a lot of grace out there. Are you familiar with the term cancel culture? Cancel culture. It's a way of describing a, uh, a financial or a social media boycott of someone because of something offensive they have said or some politically incorrect thing that they've done. Now, certainly, there are certain offenses that call for a swift and public rebuke, and sometimes there need to be legal and financial consequences for misbehavior. But there's something chilling about the cultural climate in which we find ourselves right now. One observer puts it this way. The etymology of public shaming is inherently dehumanizing. In 2019, we talk of people being canceled as though they're unpopular TV shows and not human beings. If grace is about forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and mercy, then we're not seeing a lot of it these days. Instead, we're seeing a rising tide of what we'll call ungrace, hostility, vindictiveness, resentment, punishment, shaming. Now, whatever you may think about Dave Dombrowski's firing or Ellen's politics and friendships, I think we can all agree that if ever there was a time our world needed to experience grace, this is that time. And if ever there were people who could show the world what grace looks like, it ought to be followers of Jesus. Now we're talking about grace this fall, about what it actually means for our lives and our world, what grace looks and feels like, how we can experience grace more fully, how we can extend grace and share it more freely. So far we've learned that we experience grace when we gather for worship, when we connect in a group, and when we serve on a team. 
And we've actually been seeing some wonderful responses to those invitations. We have uh, seen some great attendance at worship the past couple of weeks. We are seeing lots of people sign up for groups and new groups being formed. We have people uh, finding places to serve around the church, so that's all great. But for the most part, those first three steps have to do with our life inside the church. Now, it's pretty easy to find grace in a worship service or in a Bible study or when you're serving alongside some Christian people. But finding grace when you go out into a wider world, a world that we've just said is becoming increasingly graceless, well, that's a different story. The problem is we spend most of our time in the wider world, work, school, neighborhood, home, community, city, travel, than we ever do in church. And we want to experience grace in those places too. So last week and this week, we're kind of turning our eyes outward a bit. Uh, last week, Tom invited us or challenged us to invite a friend to look to the world around us and begin investing in the people God has brought into our lives, to love and know them, and then when the time is right to invite them to a church service or to a special event or a gathering or a conversation with you in which they might experience grace. As we look to this second half of this grace series, it might be a good time to invite a friend because we're going to be looking at what grace means for us very personally and individually. So it might be a good time to invite someone if you know someone looking for grace or curious about faith. But today we'd like to wrap up this first half of the series by looking at one more practical way that we can experience grace. Uh, not just talk about it, but feel it, see it, be changed and shaped by it. And it turns out the way to do that is to go and do, to go extend grace to others. I'll put it this way. We, extend, we experience grace when we go and do, extending grace to the world around us. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer for people who follow Jesus, who told us to go into all the world, but it turns out the church hasn't always been so good at this. One of the authors I've been referencing throughout this series is, uh, is Philip Yancey, and uh, he wrote a classic book some years ago entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? It's a great book, got a lot of attention, but that wasn't his original title, or at least it wasn't the complete title. The, the title he proposed was this. What's so amazing about grace and why don't Christians show more of it? Now the publishers decided that wouldn't fly off the shelves in their Christian bookstores, <laughs> so they went with a shorter title instead. So a few years ago, he wrote a sequel to that book that he calls Vanishing Grace. Whatever happened to the good news? Because Yancey believes we still have a lot to learn about extending grace to the world around us. So let's return again to the writings of the Apostle Paul. This time we'll go to one of his more personal letters, a letter he wrote to a younger pastor, a protege of sorts, Titus. Now Paul and Titus had traveled and served together for a while, but at a certain point, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to lead the newly established church there. Turned out that was a pretty challenging assignment because it turns out the, the people of Crete had a rather nasty reputation. Listen to what Paul writes in some of the opening lines of the letter. He says, Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Yikes. That sounds kind of harsh, Paul. But Paul's just quoting one of their own Cretan philosophers, a man named Epimedes. 
who at one point uh, said that the only reason there are no wild beasts on the island of Crete is because the human inhabitants make up for their absence. So I don't know if, it, uh, if they had cancel culture there in, on the island of Crete, but it was a pretty graceless place to live. So the believers had their work cut out for them, as, as we do. Let's jump into the middle of the letter and see what, uh, what Paul has to say, and we're going to discover three reasons we have for extending grace to the world around us. We'll pick it up, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What does Paul mean when he says the grace of God has appeared to all people? Appeared, of course, means to, to make visible, to make tangible. What, what's he talking about? Well, the answer is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world, being born into a peasant family, living a quiet life for 30-some years, then wandering the countryside, healing and teaching and pointing people towards God, and ultimately suffering and dying on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. A remarkable life, lived in plain sight. Do you remember what the Apostle John said about Jesus in the opening lines of his gospel? He writes, The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus showed us what grace looks like. Now, it wasn't as if Grace didn't exist before. The Old Testament is full of examples of God's grace to people. And later this year, we may go take a look at some of those Old Testament grace stories. It's just that we never really understood what grace actually looks like and feels like until Jesus came and lived among us and shows us what it looks like, sounds like, feels like. Grace looks like feeding the hungry. Caring for the sick, watching out for the needy, speaking for the marginalized. It looks like a father rushing out into the street to greet his foolish, wayward son. It looks like a Samaritan crossing the road to help a Jew. That's what grace looks like. Grace sounds like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Sounds like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Grace feels like a humiliated, a humiliated woman being rescued from shame and stoning. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It feels like a thief dying on the cross, being told, today you'll be with me in paradise. It feels like a dirty, rotten tax collector being invited out to lunch with Jesus. That's what grace looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. Jesus has shown us. Every once in a while, an artist or an athlete or some professional comes along and does something that no one has ever done before, shows us something we've never seen before. And when they do that, it's a game changer. 
It, it, it sets a new standard. It inspires others to follow their example and take whatever that endeavor is to new heights. Uh, take, for example, I'm thinking of the, uh, the gymnast, uh, Simone Biles. Over the past couple of months, she has a couple of times performed moves and routines that, that no one has ever seen done before. Double-doubles off the balance beam, triple-doubles on the floor exercise. No one's ever seen. Who knew that human beings could do these sorts of things? And by doing those things, she's not only distinguishing herself as a great gymnast, but she's inspiring generations of others to, to fly higher and twist faster than they ever dreamed possible. And that's what Jesus has done for the whole human race. He's shown us new ways of being human. He's shown us kinder, gentler ways, a more beautiful and more powerful ways of treating the people around us. It's the way of grace. It's the way of Jesus and the way he wants us to live following his example. According to Paul, this grace, it's not just a game changer, it's a life changer. It's a world changer. Listen to what he says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us how to live. It, it teaches us new ways of seeing ourselves and new ways of treating the people around us. It teaches us to, to say no to ugly, hurtful ways of being and say yes to new and better ways of being and treating people. Paul says it, it teaches us to be self-controlled. It teaches us not to say the harsh word, not to send the ang angry email, not to post the inflammatory rant. It teaches us to keep our emotions and our words and our actions not just in check, but in tune with the Spirit. Grace teaches us to be upright in our dealings with people. Not to take advantage of people or ignore people or rush to judgment about people before we actually know them or understand them. It teaches us instead to, to treat people fairly and rightly, regardless of who they are and whatever we disagreements we may have with them. It teaches us to listen to them and want to understand them. And grace teaches us to be godly, not to be dependent on our own wits and strength as we make our way through the day, but to be God-aware, moment by moment, always asking, what would Jesus say or do or feel in this situation with this person? And this is what Jesus wants us to be doing in this present age, this age between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, this age that we've just said is increasingly graceless. He wants us to be showing the world what grace looks like. When he comes back, he wants to find us a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. That, that eager word describes an enthusiasm about doing good. I mean, what a great way to live this is. What a great way to leave the house every morning knowing we have an opportunity to, to show grace, to show the world a better way to do right by every person, to show grace in every circumstance. What an opportunity. 
I came across a story of a, of a Christ follower who has found a way to extend grace to telemarketers. You know how that is. We all do that, right? I mean, I won't ask how most of us respond to telemarketing phone calls. Listen to how she responds. She says, all day long, those sales callers hear people curse at them and slam the phone down. I listen attentively to their pitch and then try to respond kindly without buying what they're selling. Instead, I ask about their life and if they have any concerns I can pray for. I mean, who does this, right? I mean, <laughs> often they ask me to pray with them over the phone and sometimes they're in tears. They're people, after all, probably underpaid, and they're surprised when someone treats them with common courtesy. Who taught her to do that? Grace taught her to do that. They didn't have telemarketers in the first century, but if they did, I'm pretty sure this is how Jesus would have responded to them. And when she responds that way, both she and they experience grace, unexpected kindness and beauty and goodness in the middle of the day. That's the way of Jesus. And according to Paul, it's, it's what Jesus wants for us. It's what he wants from us in this present age. And so that's the, the first reason for extending grace. It's what Jesus wants for us. But a second reason is because it's, it's what saved us, this way of grace. I'll jump ahead into chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, our first thought is probably, yeah, that sounds like a lot of people in the world today. But the truth is it sounds a lot like us some of the time in our darker moments. It sounds like the kind of people we could be all of the time if it weren't for Christ's work in our lives. Paul continues, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us, so that having been justified by His grace, those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. At some point, grace broke into all of our lives. Kindness, love, forgiveness. It didn't have to be that way. God could have been angry with us. He could have given up on us, but he chose to bring kindness and love and forgiveness into our lives, and it, it changed everything. It saved us. It saved us from our worst selves, set us free to become new and better people. And we know this grace can do the same thing for every person we know. So how can we not share it more freely with the world around us? How can we not devote ourselves to doing for others what Christ has done for us? And think about that for a moment. Every day, you and I have the opportunity to be Jesus to the people around us, to show kindness, to, to, to surprise them with kindness to shower them with love, to offer them forgiveness, to give them a second chance, to extend arms of welcome and acceptance. We get to do that, and those things, those things can change a person's life. 
In that book, Vanishing Grace, Yancey tells the story of a, of a Nazi soldier taken captive and held prisoner in a British POW camp. On a regular basis, some local women, Scottish women who are followers of Jesus, would visit the prisoners in that camp. And they would bring home-baked uh, breads and muffins and Bibles. And that soldier was, was so moved by their kindness, he began to read that Bible. And he came to faith in Christ there in that prison. And when he returned to Germany at the end of the war, Jürgen Moltmann became a pastor and went on to become a world-renowned scholar and theologian whose, whose works all of us use as we're preparing messages like this. And it all began with a simple act of kindness. Some unknown, unnamed followers of Jesus baking bread, offering Bibles in Jesus' name. And it, it changed his life and who knows how many others since. And we get to do that. We get to do that every day. Who knows how God might use our act of kindness, our offer of mercy, our friendship in the life of another person. When we extend grace to others, we experience grace ourselves because we're reminded of what Christ has done for us and we get to offer it to another person in his name. And so we experience grace and we extend grace. We do it because it's what Jesus wants. We do it because it's what saved us. And then finally, it's what the world needs. It's what the world needs. Now, we already talked about the, the gracelessness of our world and, and the gracelessness of the island of Crete. So listen how Paul instructs this young pastor Titus uh, what, he wants to, what he should be teaching his people. He says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. How different would our world be? How different would our culture be if this was how we treated each other? I like the way the message translates these verses. Remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand. No insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. How different would our political climate be if both politicians and citizens were respectful and peaceable? Now, it doesn't mean we, we always have to agree with our leaders or with each other. It doesn't mean we can't speak up or speak out when we feel led to do so. But there are graceful, gracious ways of doing those things. How different would the social media space be if there was no slander, if there were no insults, nobody picking fights? What if all of our tweets and posts were big-hearted and considerate? How different would your school or your workplace be if you wandered the hallways, wandered the cubicles, eager to do what is good, looking for ways to be helpful 
and to extend grace. We know what grace looks like because Jesus has shown us its kindness, its compassion, its mercy, its forgiveness, its welcome, its patience. But many people have not seen it in, in the Jesus way. They've not experienced it up close and personal. And we have the opportunity to do that. We get to show them. Now, later on this year, we're going to spend some time following Jesus around in the Gospels, watching him work, listening to him teach, uh, observing how he relates to people so we can learn more about this way of grace. But, but we already know enough right now to go out there and start gracing people. Remember, we talked about the fact that grace is not just a noun, it's a verb. It calls for action. To grace someone is to show them unexpected kindness, undeserved favor, unlimited patience. Did you notice how many times Paul talks in these few verses about doing good? Shows up in 2.14. He uh, talks about a people that are Christ's very own, eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 2, he says, to be ready to do whatever is good. Then in verse 8, to devote themselves to doing what is good. He's going to talk about doing good seven times in this short letter. And all this do-gooding is because of what Christ has done for us and in response to what Christ has done for us. Which means we haven't fully experienced grace until we have freely extended grace. We haven't fully experienced grace until we have freely extended grace, offering to others what Jesus has shown to us. Now, right about now, some of you might be objecting, saying, wait a second. I thought it was all about grace and not works. I thought we couldn't earn God's favor. I thought we were saved by faith and not by works. And yet all you've been talking about, Brian, is doing this and doing that. And you're right. We've talked a lot about doing today because Paul talks a lot about doing and, and Jesus actually talks about doing. But here's the thing. We do these things not to get grace, but because we have received grace. We do these things not, not to earn God's favor, but because we've received God's favor freely and generously. And if we've received it so freely from God, how can we not freely offer it to others? As we reminded ourselves a couple of weeks ago, we don't have to extend grace we get to extend grace. We get to walk out the door every day and do good in Jesus' name. And so that's the fifth and final step of this, these five steps of engagement we've been talking about. We experience grace when we go and do, extending grace to the world around us. Experience grace isn't just about getting more involved with your church. It's about getting more engaged with the world going out and doing what Jesus asked us to do. It's about going to school, going to work, going to the gym, going to the coffee shop, going to the mall, going wherever you go with your eyes wide open for opportunities to do good in Jesus' name. What a way to live. We talk a lot here, Grace, about finding your go. Your go is your unique contribution to God's work in the world in this particular season of your life. 
And your goal may involve your service at church, but it also involves your working life and your home life and your school life and your hobbies and your friendships and all your free time and money. All those things together provide you with a unique opportunity to do something in this world that only you can do with people that only you can reach. That's your go. I got an email recently from a 40-something-year-old guy here at church who has fairly recently come to faith in Christ and discovered it's had a profound effect on every other aspect of his life as well. Listen now, he talks about his, his working life. He writes, I wanted to share with you my revelation about my career and financial services after my decision to follow Christ. I had been wondering what this decision means and how it should affect my profession. What should I do? Quit my job and go to medical school to help and heal people? My mother recommended that I slow down and think and pray about what and how things might change. Maybe she didn't like the idea of me quitting my job. After a couple of weeks of asking God for a clear and discernible message, I received an unsolicited call from a church looking for an advisor who'd be willing to hold a discussion with members of the congregation after Sunday services. The kicker was that they couldn't pay for anything and the lecture had to be on a volunteer basis. Loud and clear, Lord. It was as if the bush burst into flames in front of me. I felt God was saying that it was okay to use the knowledge and brain that I was given, but rather than pursuing the almighty dollar, to pursue the almighty instead. Nicely done. (laughs) The reward was immeasurable, and the feeling of being used by God was more satisfying than any paycheck I have ever received. I continued to do pro bono cases, even helping, helping several people in the grief share group that I unfortunately needed in July of 2015 when my mother was called home abruptly and unexpectedly. After God led me to the men's group at Grace, he now has me serving at Place of Promise, helping with a Bible study every other week with the residents. I'm not sure who learns more, me or them. My plan for the future, Lord willing, is to retire early or at least partial retirement and dedicate more time to working with those he places in my path. Now, does that sound like someone who has to do good? or someone who wants to do good. He is continually experiencing grace every day on the job because he's extending grace in Jesus' name with the opportunities God gives him. And we all get to do that. Whatever your profession or career or working life might be, whatever stage of life you might be in, whatever place you might be in your spiritual journey, It occurred to me last night as I was praying in preparation for this message, I get to do this. I get to stand up in front of thousands of people every week and tell them about Jesus and invite them into the most wonderful way of living and being in the world to share with them the best news they'll ever hear. I get to do that every week of my life. But you get to do things too. You get to do things I could never do with people I could never do it with and places I could never go. Every day, you and I get to walk out the door and do good in Jesus' names. And who knows what he might do with those things. Isn't that what the world needs? Isn't that what the world wants now more than ever? When Ellen stands in front of a TV audience and asks for kindness, what she's asking for is grace. When she wonders out loud why two people who disagree politically can't be friends, she's she's looking for grace. You see what an opportunity this is for the church? We have what the world wants. And we have it not because we're better than anybody else, but simply because we've received it by grace ourselves. 
And now we're invited to go out and share it with the world. In his best-selling book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren writes, I'm looking for a second reformation. The first reformation 500 years ago was about beliefs. This one is going to be about deeds. It's not going to be about what the church believes, but about what the church does. Now, for sure, the world needs to know what we believe. The world needs to hear the good news that we are saved by faith in Christ alone and not by works. They need to hear that. But chances are it's works, our works, that are going to get their attention. Remember, we heard that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Which came first? Grace came first. Jesus always led with grace, and it opens the door to truth. Jürgen Moltmann had plenty of Bibles in his Lutheran home back in Germany. He just had never read them before or never taken them seriously until he met some women who claimed to follow Jesus and offered him kindness and pointed him towards the Scripture. Who knows what doors and hearts might be opened if you and I are to go out into our world and show kindness to people? Who knows how many lives might be changed if we were to become people of grace, a community of grace, a movement of grace. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. And before you go today, we wanna, I want to give your campus pastors a chance to pray over you and send you out into the world with grace. So uh, I'm going to pray here in a minute, and then we'll go to our campuses and sing, and your, your local pastor will, will pray you out the door. But why don't we bow and pray together for a moment? And as we do, I'll invite you just to take a moment and think about your day tomorrow. Where will you be this time tomorrow, Monday? Who will be around you? What tasks will you have? What challenges? What opportunities? Be asking the Lord who and where you might show grace tomorrow and in the week to come. We pray, Lord, that you might make us a people of grace beginning today, now, here, in the fall of 2019. We pray that it might begin here at Grace Chapel, here in Lexington or Wilmington or Watertown or East Lexington or Foxborough or Amherst or wherever someone is listening to this message. Pray that it would begin with me and with us as we remember just how gracious you've been to us and the great privilege we have of being gracious to others in your name. May we do it for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. Amen.